What is going on, guys? This is episode 138. I am here, as always, with Giancarlo Alino, Chris Martelli, and Anthony Pinello. And, of course, we're going to start this one off with the, the NBA Finals, of course, because you see that guy in that picture there, Chris Paul? Uh, he doesn't have a ring yet, and it's been about 17 years that he's been in the league. So I guess I'll start this one off with Pinello. Um, I know you're a big Chris Paul supporter, big fan of his. What did you think about Chris Paul's first ever uh, NBA final game? Yeah, buddy, the point guard, he came to play. Dropping a 30-piece, nine dimes. He stole uh, DeAndre Ayton's last four, but we'll give him a pass on that. But, yeah, it's like uh, it's like he's been there a million times before. He came in and he just took over, and I thought he was the best player in the entire game. So, Chris Paul, guy's a legend, absolutely deserves it, so – First game in the finals, balled the fuck out. So, props to the Phoenix Suns and him. Yeah, great game for him. Uh, he came up big for his team, showed that he's not uh, one of those players that when it's a big moment, he's going to have a bad game. So, started off, gets them the win, puts the pressure on Milwaukee, and looks like if you're going to do the finals MVP, Chris Paul over Devin Booker would probably be uh, not too unrealistic. So I think right now Chris Paul is going to put up all those stats and uh, he's going to go for that finals MVP if Phoenix are able to get this done. Yeah, I really I like the way that Chris Paul played. You know, uh, he's been in the league forever and you go to the finals. And even though, you know, you think you know what it's like, sometimes you don't. And, and Chris Paul, you know, time and time again, a lot of people, yeah, they call him the point guy, but he's also one of the most clutch players in the league. I think he, he the last five years in terms of, um, I think it's like the final five minutes in the game. I think he's averaged the most points. It's like between him, Harden, KD, you know, the ball dominant type players. But Chris Paul, he's been a guy where he's relatively been able to balance, you know, the, the playmaking wizardry and, of course, the scoring. And you don't get it as often as guys like Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, those guys that can do it, you know, night in, night out. Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, but... Chris Paul, to me, I think he's absolutely the MVP if they win. I think you look at what he's been able to do. Again, kind of like last year, what I said about him when he was on OKC and when they went on that playoff run, you know, I was like, okay, this is a new team. This guy definitely should get some love, not in an MVP situation in the regular season, but just in terms of his overall, you know, how clutch Chris Paul is, how he just makes your team just so much better. And this is the case again. He goes to a team where, Going into the year, we weren't really sure. I mean, I thought they would be a playoff team. I didn't think they would be a finals team, but I, I thought they would be a playoff team. But I didn't see them, you know, going as far as they're going. And I think in part it's due to Chris Paul and I think of how great he is. And DeAndre Aiden's another guy last night, 20 – I think he had 22 points, 19 rebounds, something like that. He absolutely ate Lopez in the paint. I guess I'll bring this up too because it looked a little weird statistically-wise. Um uh, Brooke Lopez, he only had two personal fouls and he only played 22 minutes. So seen as the Bucks lost in game number one, um, Brooke Lopez p- playing only 22 minutes, PJ Tucker playing 33 and Giannis 35. Um, what do you think is the proper lineup that they that the Bucks should go with? Should they go with Lopez starting at the five? Uh, should they go with Tucker you know, a little more than they should. Uh, what do you guys think between Tucker and Lopez? Who do you think the starter should be there? Um, 
I want it to be Lopez. The only thing I, th- I said it a week or two ago on the pod. Like the only thing I want from him, just be more aggressive and use him a little more in the paint. Cause it was last series. They were just having him stand in the corner and pull up from three, which he can do. But if you're going to isolate him to just that, to me, he's kind of useless. I love Tucker. I think they could split the minutes either way, but between the two, I would like to start Lopez there. Yeah, you know, even if they switch it up, they can go small and have Giannis go there at the five, but you can also have Giannis like throw them off, have Drew Holiday go and cover Booker, and you have Giannis cover Chris Paul, and uh, that would throw everything off. So I think they're going to have to get creative because we saw what Phoenix did. They're able to just pretty much have their own game and have their way there. So it's going to be tough, but I just see it like Milwaukee has to make adjustments because they're having trouble in Atlanta. They had this same similar issue uh, with Lou Williams, what he was able to do in Trey Young. Uh, they saw like Brooklyn, even though they won that, what Kevin Durant was able to do at times. So if there's shots open for a guy like Devin Booker, they're going to take advantage. And that seems to be their issue there, those three pointers and, then they leave themselves openly in the game. Yeah, I was also going to say, like, Brooke Lopez, this guy, he absolutely torched the Raps that year. Game one, remember? I think he had 26 points. Even last night, this guy had 17 points in only 22 minutes, three of five from three. I think they need to they need to put him into the game a little bit more. And uh, I know they really love P.J. Tucker, you know, the defensive ability that he has. And, you know, he's just a pro's pro. Everybody loves P.J. Tucker. But I think at this point in time, I mean, if you have guys like Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton on the floor, and they're consistently bringing that two-way game, you can kind of – I think I think P- Pinello said it best. you got to kind of try and balance out Tucker, Giannis, and Lopez's minutes. Both, So all three can relatively hit about 30 minutes respectively, but we all know Giannis will play at least 40. Um, I know 35 yesterday. That's just because of his knee. Uh, he's probably playing at least 40, 45. What we saw in the, in the game six, seven in Brooklyn, that's what you're going to get. But in terms of Lopez and Tucker, you know, Tucker's not going to get you a lot of points. Whereas a guy like Brooke Lopez, if he's hot in the third or in the fourth quarter, he's going to be very valuable as an asset. So I think moving forward, if uh, if Budenholzer wants to, you know, make this a series, I think you need to look at the, the front court and you need to properly, you know, um, manage those minutes. Because even I'm looking here at the like how they went about it in game one. They only had nine guys playing, whereas um, the Suns went with 10. And I'm just looking at the bench, and it's not looking good in Milwaukee. I mean, Kanaden, eight points. He played 28 minutes. That's a lot of minutes for Kanaden. Portis only had 14 minutes. Forbes with 11 minutes. And Jeff Teague with nine minutes. And they didn't really garner anything, whereas in, in Phoenix in game one, Devin Booker put up 27 points. Like the big three, the guys that you expect to score scored all over 20 points. So um, if I'm Milwaukee, I guess I'm going to start this with Pinello. What is your game plan for game two? And out of all the big three guys, who are you most worried about if you're Milwaukee? If uh, on Phoenix's side, I'm worried about? If you're If you're Milwaukee, who are you most worried about? Like moving forward now that you know you're trailing in this series. Like on, sorry, like on Phoenix's roster, or like, yes. if, what do you mean? Oh my God, probably Chris Paul or Devin Booker. I think I don't like it's still game one. I'm not really panicking. It's a long series. I think either way, it's going six or seven. But 
you know, this is the farthest the Bucks have gone in a long time. They're second, third round every year. Just don't panic. Stick to the course. Do what's got you here. Like Drew and uh, and Giannis and Middleton, they've gotten them there. They've been inconsistent at times, but they've gotten progressively better throughout the playoffs. I really don't think they have to do much. So I'm, I'm definitely worried about Booker with his isolation scoring and Chris Paul's mid-range and just the way he gets everyone involved. So those two I'm definitely worried about. But if I'm the Bucks. Let's just fucking relax. You're good to go here. Yeah, I'm actually probably Booker would be the one just because of the three point game. Like, I think Milwaukee, if you can keep it in the paint, you can probably out defend at times and get a better matchup with Lopez or Giannis. So, if you can just keep them away from Booker getting hot and getting like 50 points and getting all threes and running the score up and uh, making it a lead where you can't like maybe get back into it. I think you can live with it if Chris Paul can get like 40 points in the paint. So I think try to keep it at Paul and make sure Devin Booker does not get the ball outside. Okay. I'm going to say this because I absolutely love Drew Holiday. Uh, what I've seen from him like the last four or five games, he's almost triple-doubled in every game. Is it safe to say that like Drew Holiday might be the best backcourt guard in the league defend like the best backcourt defender in the league it has to be him because what i've seen him do with kevin durant what i've seen him do you know with throughout all the playoffs with ben simmons he had to guard him a couple times he had to even go on guys like seth curry who are unreal three-point guys do you guys do you see drew holiday in the same you know defensive light as the likes of like i don't know like the greatest in the game like simmons green like is he at that level 100%. I think that's been a, for the longest time, he's been kind of labeled as the most, as like the most underrated player. Defense. Like when you look around the league and the way guys talk about Drew Holiday, like he's a fucking matchup nightmare. No one wants to guard him. I, yeah, I personally think he's the best guard out of all the defenders. I don't look at Ben Simmons. That doesn't fucking count. That guy can, you can put him in any position. But for like even the way he played KD, KD was dropping 40 every game, but Drew was making it tough on him. And KD's got like half a foot. So one of the smartest players in the league, getting Drew Holiday was such a fucking amazing ad from Milwaukee and a very big reason why they're here. Yeah, I agree. I think they need Holiday, though, to be a difference maker now uh, when he's matching up with Chris Paul because... If he's not and Phoenix end up, let's say, winning like four or five games and they win it, everyone's going to bring up Malcolm Brogdon's name, how they let him pretty much leave and didn't really keep him in the mix. And that will be a move that their GMs are and coaching staff are going to get a lot of heat on. So I think you need Drew Holiday to be the difference maker if Milwaukee's going to win this. Absolutely. He's been a huge difference maker. I mean, the triple doubles that he's been almost getting, it's just outstanding and you know, this guy's been in the league for a while. I remember the one year he took the whole year off to take care of his uh, wife or something. She had a bad illness, and he comes back, and he's it's immediately almost like it's his team. Like, I remember when he went back to New Orleans, him and Anthony Davis, you know, they're doing whatever it took. And I remember the first playoff that I saw Drew Holiday really ball out was they got swept, of course, but him and Davis were dropping 40 points every single game. And I think he was more – focused on his offensive numbers at that time. But now in this sense where he's, what, like 30 years old, 29, 30, he's starting to realize, okay, I need to start being more of that defensive shutdown, 
like not necessarily care about the amount of points I score. And I'm, I'm just seeing absolute beautiful basketball from Drew Holiday. And I've loved I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the matchup between Chris Paul and Drew Holiday. I know we're going to get it and I'm going to love to see it all play out because I know both these guys are contenders. They're going to be in each other's ears all series. And that's what it's all about, man. It's all about competing. Chris Paul, Drew Holiday, not a lot better than them. But I'm going to ask this question now going up to the finals MVP because we are in the finals. I got to ask this question. Is it more far-fetched that a guy like Devin Booker wins it? Or is it more far-fetched if a guy like Chris Middleton wins it? Uh, for me, I think it's more far-fetched if Middleton wins it. It's tough, but uh, and he has been balling out. But I look at Giannis throughout the entire duration of this playoffs. And um, he, he may have bested him in game one, but going forward, I project Giannis is just going to take over. And... If the Bucks were to win, I assume he'd be the MVP. But that's no slouch at Middleton. Like, he's really come up big here in the second half of this playoffs. And um, just like Drew Holiday, they're going to need him to put up around 30 pretty much every game if they're going to have a chance. So I like that question. But, uh, yeah, I think it's further fetch for Middleton. Yeah, I agree. I think it's more closer for Phoenix just because of what Chris Paul's doing and, like, all aspects of it, the stats he's putting up, and Booker – like the difference he makes there. When you're looking at Milwaukee, I think they'll lean more towards Giannis than Middleton, even though Middleton's playing well. It's just going to come down to everything. Like when Giannis is on the court and he's 100% healthy, it looks like a different team. And then Middleton, when he's carrying the load, they're probably in a closer matchup. And I think they're going to look at that when they're making their voting and say Giannis is the difference maker. Uh, and he's probably the finalist for that. But I think it'd be a lot more of a closer argument if Phoenix wins it just because of how Devin Booker was able to step up. Okay, well, I'm going to make this one a little bit more hard for you guys. Um, in terms of the bench players, I guess I'll start with Phoenix. Out of guys like Bridges, Johnson, you know, all the guys that are not the big three in Chris Paul, Booker, and De- DeAndre Aiden, which one – do you think is the most valuable to this team and which one has impressed you the most between all but the, 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 I guess I'll say the, the misfits or the, the rest of the bunch in Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm going to say Jay Crowder. I thought, cause they got Chris Paul at around the same time. So it, it definitely fucking overshadowed it. But Jay Crowder is just one of those players that every team in the league could use just the solid veteran presence. He does everything well. He's been solid for Phoenix all year. He was great for Miami last year. So I thought that was low-key, a fucking amazing signing for uh, for some depth. Yeah, I'm going to go Jay Crowder too. I think uh, there was no love lost there in Cleveland. Remember when LeBron had him and it looked like all the time it was Jay Crowder's fault. It looked like uh, they were trying to put it out there like LeBron's not to blame. It's this bona fide scrub that he plays with. And then he leaves. He goes on, makes a good career for himself. He's a difference maker on all these teams. Miami really shows what he can do in the playoffs. And this year, I think he's just as important as uh, Chris Paul, Aiden, Middle, and uh, not Middleton, Booker. But like I think those guys together, I think Jay Crowder easily slots into the starting lineup. And he's a guy that you can look at past this year. He's going to be a difference maker for Phoenix going forward. Yeah, I was surprised they signed Crowder just based off you know, who they've drafted the last couple of years and in that spot, it's like, okay, it's not looking too bad. You have Saric, you have 
Aiden, you have Mikkel Bridges, you have Cam Johnson. Like you have a lot of um, four or fives on this team and Crowder, I guess, being the three, four type guy, uh, he came in and yeah, I agree with you, Pinella, 100%. This guy, ever since I want to say that career year, I think in Boston, ever since that year, he's just been one of the better and one of the more underrated roster type players on an NBA team. So we're seeing it again this year. Uh, Crowder recently has just been screaming success. So really good for him. But I'm going to go with Mikkel Bridges, man. I love this guy. I think this guy is one of the more underrated players in the league right now at this very moment. If you look at fantasy, that's a whole other realm. He usually goes like top eight rounds just based off his, you know, all in all, you know, gems. He'll, he'll give you what, like 13, 5, 1, 1, 1, something like that. But I just love what Bridges has been able to do, man. Not a lot of guys, when you get drafted in the position that he was in, some of them, they don't adjust well to, you know, reserved roles. And Bridges right now, he's playing that role perfectly. And I absolutely love Bridges, I think. There's still more for him to see. I think there's more for us to see. Same with Cam Johnson. He can shoot lights out. A lot of people were making fun of uh, Phoenix when they drafted him. They said it was a bit of a reach, and the guy's been an absolute stud. So I absolutely love how Phoenix has just revamped their franchise completely. They made a couple ballsy moves, and it's it's worked out very well, man. Devin Booker at one point, I think it was last year or two years ago, we were starting to say, hey, is this guy disgruntled? Is he is he on the way out? We really don't know. And now it looks like he's staying put for the long run. So I'll ask this question now. Um, Alina, I'll start this one with you. If, if the Phoenix Suns do win the NBA championship, is Chris Paul leaving or is he going back and trying to run it back with this roster? That's a good one. It all depends on what he wants to do. Like if he wins then he proves that he didn't need a ring chase to win a championship. And then I think he would be happy to go and look at what would be the most fun option. Uh, maybe like a Los Angeles Lakers. I don't know how much he would take, but it would have to be a pay cut. Maybe he wants to go to the uh, Brooklyn Nets. And uh, I don't know how they would work, make that work, but the Knicks would be appealing. I think they would try to get him in just because of the similar team they might be able to put out there they have rj barrett they have randall looks good there but i don't know i think if they lose he might be is it most likely to leave but i think if they win it's gonna come down to what phoenix can offer him i think they're gonna have to make some other moves to make him happy but i think i'll go like 75 percent. he'll leave yeah if they lose i think he's gone if Phoenix were to win, I would love for him to re-sign one year and run it back. That's just me. That goes for most star players. Like, if you win and with your city and your team, like, defend the fucking title the next year. And then if you lose, okay, then you could leave. That's what Kawhi should have done. So for Chris Paul, if the Phoenix Suns win, give him one more year. I love it. Uh, in terms, I guess now we'll go to Milwaukee quick. Uh, I want to talk quickly about... Giannis, his injury. Um, I know. So here's the thing: the Bucks. You're in this. You're in. You know. You're in the NBA Finals. Like you said, they've been a two-three for the last four years, something like that. Ever since Giannis, you know, started tearing it up. Um, if you're the Bucks, though, and this was this is just me. I think this is me kind of reading into it too much um, and playing the cautious route. If you were a manager, let's say you guys were the manager for the Bucks, or you were Budenholzer in this situation. 
you know you're in the NBA Finals. You know this is it. This is the, the this is the long-awaited journey. This is the path that you're finally here. Doesn't it make sense for Giannis to maybe sit out the first two games and then you play him in Game Three? I don't know because I, I was talking to a friend at work today. I just feel like they kind of rushed him back into it. I know it's the Finals, but I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm 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 thinking too much into it. Uh, would you guys maybe? have sat Giannis, maybe start maybe game three at home, or would you have just gone with what they did? Just go and go and try and get it right away. I get where you're coming from, but to me, if the doctors clear him, I'm putting him in the fucking lineup with zero hesitation. I understand though, because like the kids, the guy's a monster. He's 25, 26 years old. His playing style, like it's going to take a toll and that's not... There are obviously questions there, but if Giannis says he's good to go and they eventually clear him, then you have to trust, you know, your training staff and your coaching staff and throw him in there. It's obviously unfortunate if, like, he were to go down or anything like that, but if the NBA Finals, if everyone gives you the green light, there's there's really there's no other questions for me after that. Yeah, it's tough. I think they should have just benched him and not put him in the starting lineup, like, even though he's cleared to play. Have him on the bench and see how the game goes. If you're running out Phoenix and there's no need to put him in, you just have him on the bench. And if you're losing by like five, you just have him on the bench, get up to warm up just to make Phoenix in the back of their mind thinking, okay, uh oh, Giannis is coming out now. We've got to watch out. So I would have just put him as a, I guess, a diversion type of thing. Like, you know, you're not going to play him only when you need him, but keep him on the bench just to make Phoenix be on their toes a little bit like we got to watch out save our energy because at any moment the reigning uh mvp over there uh former mvp you can bring those performances out and uh we can be in trouble so i think they should use that as a tactic just put them on the bench yeah i i do like that i i think you know it makes sense too because right away if let's say you bench Giannis and you can win one of those games in phoenix and then you go back home Game three with your returning superstar in Milwaukee, the amount of momentum right there alone is just ridiculous. So I, maybe I would have done that, but again, it's tough to tell. Like you don't really see these matchups; they never really face each other, so you really don't know how it would have gone. So I, it it does make sense there, but I just I had to ask it because it was kind of bothering me all day. Like it's like okay, like it's like rushing like Matthews back. You know, like if he's like 65 percent, it's like, yeah, no, screw it. Like we're putting you in. Um, there are obviously risks involved. This is a business, but we're going with it. So if I was Budenholzer, I definitely probably wouldn't have played him. But hey, it didn't matter. They still lost. So uh, that's it for Hoop. We'll move on quickly now to the NHL. Obviously, it was 3 nothing Tampa Bay. It's now 3-1 Tampa Bay. Uh, Montreal winning game four. Um, yeah, the, the governor or... The, the guy in the guy in, in in Tampa Bay, Florida, he's a savage. He said that he wanted Montreal to win Game Four just so they can win at home in Game Five. And honestly, man, I think it's happening. Uh, this team is too good. I remember I saw last game, Game Four, Carey Price stood on his head. There was the game that he stole, <laughs> like we said. Um, so there it is. Josh Anderson, of course, two goal game. He looked incredible. Uh, he's been a freak this whole playoffs. I guess I'll start with you, Pinello. In terms of I want to say competitiveness. What were your thoughts initially going into this final? Did you have this maybe being closer than you thought, or did you know deep in your heart that Tampa Bay was the team and they're going to repeat again? 
Uh, I guess the second one with Tampa Bay repeating, but I wasn't your average Salty Leafs fan. Get the Habs the benefit of the doubt. I didn't think they should have beaten the Leafs and the Jets. I, th- I had them losing every series going forward. But as they progressed in the playoffs, you know, you kind of the, – the Habs are here and they're for real and Price has been amazing and everyone up and down their lineup has been so good, so you have to give them credit. But going into the Tampa series, it's just – it's tough. You know, they've been outmatched before this in the playoffs, but, you know, Tampa against anyone, I guess it's kind of a mismatch. But uh, I gave Montreal two wins going into it. It could end tonight, game five. We'll see. But I, I guess it's gone as I expected. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought Montreal's best opportunity was going to be game one because Tampa came off that series with the Islanders back and forth and started from that 8 nothing win. Uh, I thought Montreal would be able to take advantage, steal a game in Tampa. Uh, then Tampa would probably get game two. Montreal get game three in their home arena. Uh, go tied into game five, and then Tampa just wins the rest of it. But I don't know. Tampa started off right away, uh, posing their will on them. Took them out three nothing, and then even game four they tied it. It looked like Stamkos had a chance there to win it in overtime, and he just missed the net. So. Have to wonder now, like, could Montreal win? It's possible, but I think Tampa's market there and the fan base, the idea of winning at home. Last year they won in the bubble. Uh, they have their family there now. I think it's going to be uh, more motivation for the Lightning, and I think they're going to win it tonight. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, Tampa Bay, you look at who they have and guys like Sorelli and Palad and Gordy and Johnson, and they've quietly been together other than Sorelli and Point. I want to say the top six has been together for about five, six years easily. And that's insane, man. Um, You know, they know how to deal with their cap stuff. You know, there's not a lot of tax in Florida, if any. I don't think there is any. So Stamkos, he balled out. You know, he got I think we offered him about twelve million that summer. You he went back for a pay cut, and it's worked out for him. He's got the cups, so good for Stamkos there. I think I still think Victor Hedman is far away the best defenseman in the league. I think he's been the best since Lidstrom. That's my opinion. That's high praise, I know, but Hedman's been dominant. So, I mean, I I won't say this. I thought this was going to be an absolute cakewalk because, of course, they beat Vegas and. They beat Vegas, Winnipeg, and Toronto, which is absolutely impressive as hell. So I, I I didn't really see it being a sweep, but I did see Tampa Bay being the team that would, you know, end this Cinderella-type story. But I guess now i got to ask the question because I have to. I really have to, and I really don't want to. Um, out of the three teams that Montreal beat, between Vegas, between Toronto, and Winnipeg, which of the three was most surprising? And, um, I mean... Uh, yeah, I guess that's all I really have to ask because I really don't want to get into the next part. I really don't want to. I don't want to keep asking about Montreal. So I guess I'll just say, uh, which one was most uh, surprising for you guys? Between I guess I'll say between Vegas and Toronto because it's definitely not going to be Winnipeg. <laughs> I was going to say Winnipeg. <laughs> oh my god! Can I still say Winnipeg until? Yeah, you. you yeah, you can. You surprised me. <laughs> Oh, my God. So, yeah, like I said before, um, I thought the Habs were going to lose every series, and it's nothing against them. I just thought the other teams were that much better. And when I look up and down Winnipeg's lineup and I saw Shifley and Dubois and Connor and Ehlers and all these offensive juggernauts and um, not saying Hellebuck matches price, but, you know, the, uh, you have a great goalie in between the pipes. 
I thought they would win. And I thought they'd win in six games and they got absolutely smacked in four and it wasn't even close. So that one, as great as Vegas is, that one surprised the shit out of me. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with the Leafs because it was 3-1. I know we have to bring that up, <laughs> but yeah. And looking at, I know going by the goalie matchup, Campbell's record was, it looked like a pitcher's record when their season's done. He had like two or three losses and overtime losses. Like his record was insane and the momentum they had. Uh, the team had looked like after 3-1, they were going to close it out in all those overtime games and they lost all of them. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go Toronto. And then after Vegas, it's hard to look over that. But Vegas came off the Colorado series. So uh, maybe they underestimated Montreal. Uh, thinking, okay, we just beat Colorado. I think we should have it easy. And then it just didn't go their way. Uh, they got caught. And uh, yeah, but those were easily the most impressive. I think Winnipeg was uh, their defense, I don't think, could uh, match up to Vegas, but it was impressive. Now you look at Tampa, if they were able to do that, it would have been crazy. Uh, we were to look back on this team as like a, I don't know what you can do like going forward, like a bottom place team they're the eighth seed basically uh i think they would have liked to play the islanders it would have been more close but they got unlucky here and this is where they come down to earth yeah i like that i think too you, you talk about winnipeg pinello shifley did not play he played game one and that was it so i think that's also why they got swept i just feel like going into it though going oh yeah going yeah going into it yeah <laughs> sure sure because like I, winnipeg's not edmonton I know it's like the playoff experience everyone talks about, but for them to smack Edmonton and then get smacked by Montreal, I'm like, what the fuck is actually going on this year? It's backwards, yeah. Okay, I'll ask this now. Out of all the four teams that we thought, I mean, this was my final. My final originally was Colorado-Tampa Bay. So I'll say between Colorado, Toronto, and I guess I'll have to. I guess I have to say Vegas because you know they've been a top seeded team since coming into the freaking league. So out of the three teams, which to you, like out of all the, I mean it's probably Toronto. Let's be honest here. But uh, who had the most disappointing season of the three juggernaut teams there? What was the other team? Toronto, Colorado, and who? Vegas. Uh, uh yeah, Toronto. I mean. A lot of teams were in a situation where it's like, this is the year you need to capitalize on the divisions before it goes back to normal next year. So the Leafs were one of those teams, and they absolutely wrecked everyone all year except Ottawa. And, uh, yeah, we won the North. And then, like Alino said, we we were up 3-1, and then we just went to shit after. So bouncing the first round, and, uh, yeah, there's always next year, boys. There's always next year. They should really patent that or trademark it, make some money off that because they know everyone's going to buy that shirt. I have to go with the Leafs, unfortunately. Uh, All the moves they made, and you pretty much could walk to the final after you're playing the bottom seed in the league. Uh, You don't have to worry about Edmonton and McDavid causing you problems. You just have to worry about Winnipeg and their defense that you can probably have a better matchup with and Vegas is close second just because of Petrangelo and what they did with the goalies going back and forth. And it looks like now you have to like commit to Leonard 
So with Marc-Andre Fleury there, like you put him in a weird spot last year. Uh, you were able to like soften that uh, this year because like 56 games, but Toronto for sure. Just the money they spent, all the trades they made, the free agent signings, they're the biggest disappointment. Yeah, I'll agree there too. Uh, I have I had a little yeah, I had an excuse for every team. Like Colorado, man. Like they're terrifying. I just looked at them this year and I remember when they did they sweep St. Louis in the first round this year? I think they absolutely obliterated them. Or they oh, they yeah. swept or no, yeah, was it St. Louis? They yeah, they swept St. Louis I think in the first round this year and then they faced Minnesota, I think. That was it. Yeah, so it was St. Louis, Minnesota, and then they lost to Vegas. So, Wait, yeah, because no, Vegas played Minnesota. Was that it? Oh yeah, Vegas played Minnesota, and Colorado played. Jeez, uh, I don't remember who Colorado played now. I know they played St. Louis in the first round. They swept them, and then I think they faced uh, Vegas. Oh, yeah, Colorado played Vegas in the second round. Yeah, and then Vegas played Montreal. Oh, yeah, this is all weird. Yeah, this is weird. Tampa played Florida first round, and then they played... uh, Man, I don't even remember. Yeah, see, I forgot because Tampa and Florida are in the the West now, so that just completely threw me off. But, yeah, like you had the the year that McKinnon had, the year that Rantanen had, the year that McCarr had, the year that Landis Cog had... Kadri's looking like a problem too. Like everything was clicking on all cylinders all year. Grubauer looked like a top five goalie. I think he led the league in wins. He looked incredible. They just looked like they gelled as a team. They looked like what the Leafs possibly should be. And like they still didn't even get the job done. So it's that hard to win a cup. McKinnon looked absolutely freaking pissed off after they lost. You know, you lose to Vegas. That's that. You know, that's a contender right there. Vegas, like you said, uh, Alino. You add Petrangelo. You know, th- that's an absolute huge, huge free agent signing. Especially, you know, what's going on with COVID and the salary cap. And you get a player like that, Shea Theodore. You know, he was a he's a Norris type defenseman, I think already. And you know, the top six. I, I we've 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 said t- we've been pumping their tires for years. Marchessault, Carlson, Pacioretty, Smith. You know, they even got Stone in that trade a couple years ago. So this team, to me, was was locked and loaded. They were ready to go, um, Vegas and Colorado. And I thought that they, they were, even if they faced Toronto, let's say, in the finals, I don't have Toronto beating those two teams at this very moment. So you even have to add Flurry Leonard as goalies, and you still manage to screw that up. I, I'm only disappointed in Vegas because I feel like they did it to themselves. Out of all the three teams, I feel like it was them that really, really put it on themselves, at least managerial-wise. You know, you put Leonard in in game five, six. I'm not knocking down Leonard at all. I'm just saying Fleury has three cups. He's been there before. It's a, it's a no-brainer. I've said this with Pinello before when we discussed it. It was a layup decision, and you went with the wrong one. And Montreal took full advantage there. But, you know, I'm going to ask this question because not we don't have a lot of time left, maybe about another five, ten minutes. I'll ask you guys about this certain player that he's on Montreal. He's a great player, great young player. Cole Caulfield. I'll start with you, Pinello, because I know you love Montreal prospects, probably the most out of any other team. So um, what are your initial thoughts on Cole Caulfield and what do you see him panning out to be? And don't 
be a biased Leaf fan here. Okay, do you want me to start like when I first laid eyes on him up until now or just in general what I think? Just in general of what you've seen from him, you know, in this league. Yeah, man, uh, when you look at his playing style, it's it's kind of where the league is trending. He's one of those young, skilled, fast players. He's got an amazing shot, super dynamic. Uh, the Habs should be very lucky because the man was projected – Fuck, around like five, six, seven in the draft for the longest time. I don't know why. Guys, if you remember, he dropped a 15. I, to this day, I still don't know why. Everyone was losing their shit when they took him. He had an amazing year, and he, he stepped right into the Habs lineup. Um, yeah, like I think he's going to be solid for years to come. Uh, in terms of Montreal success, I have no idea. But in terms of Cole Caulfield, like – a dynamic score for years to come. He's going to be in their top lineup going forward. So, what do you what do you envision him being as a player? Do you see him being like a like a super superstar in like a Patrick Kane, or do you see him kind of more um, being kind of like a player like a Ehlers, like a skilled elusive forward, but not to that superstar level? I think he'll have a touch up on Ehlers going forward. Like, I think he's got. Um, that goal scoring ability has got more dynamacy to lose game as like Ehlers is so fast and all that, but just in terms of finishing, putting the puck in the net, I think Caulfield has got to step up on him. It like in points, 60, 70 in terms of like 82 game season. But I, I think he'll be along with like 20, 30 other forwards, those young skilled hotshot forwards. He's going to be one of them. So fucking abs, eh? <laughs> yeah. I think he's a top line forward for Montreal. Uh, He's going to consistently be like a top six power play guy. Uh, I like Nick Suzuki. Uh, I don't know. I like lean more towards him as a guy for the future in Montreal. I think he's going to be important for their future success, but like they're in a weird spot. Like they went to the final. No one's expecting this. They're a bottom seed. And now what do you do with Weber and what do you do with price? Because like, let's say now with this draft coming up, you got some offers for Weber you trade Weber, retain maybe a million dollars or two million dollars and really take advantage of this, or do you keep him and until his contract runs out? Well, how how many years does he have left on it? Like two, three? Well, wasn't it like a fourteen year deal? <laughs> Gotta love Philly. Oh man, when did he sign that? Probably two thousand and ten, maybe. Oh, so he's got like, yeah, like two, three years left. Uh, I'd, I'd probably let it run out. Depends on where they are. Uh, I don't see them being top three in our division for sure next year. No doubt about that with Florida, Tampa coming back. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Bergevin kind of does. I know that, you know, you have Caulfield, Suzuki, Kakanyemi, Josh Anderson, I guess is definitely going to be here for the long haul. He's 27 in his prime. He's, a, he's an absolute beauty. But in terms of the back end, I really don't know what they're going to do moving forward. I know Petri and, and Weber and I'm pretty sure Romanov are looking like the guys that they want to kind of stick with for the future for sure. But in terms of guys like uh, like Kulak, Chariot, like Edmondson, these guys that have been, you know, big parts and, you know, big contributors and, and b- the big reason why they've been successful in this playoffs is because of those guys. But I don't know if they're going to be on the team next year. And I'm being honest because I think Chariot, uh, as funny as this may sound, I think he is worthy of a of a much bigger raise. Uh, he looked amazing this whole playoffs, 
Edmondson's already a winner. You know, he has a Stanley Cup. He knows what it takes here. So I think out of all the teams, when you look at who's the most intriguing to watch next year, I think of teams like New Jersey. I think of teams like Montreal. I think of teams even like Detroit, like teams that you know they're exciting, but you really don't know what their potential could be. Kind of like in basketball, like I said at the beginning of the year, Pinello viciously laughed at me, but like Chicago, like you don't know, like they have all the skill. There's a lot of guys there that have that potential, but it just does not pan out. So I look at that. I look at this this core in Montreal, and it's like, ah, like it looks really, really good, but there's something there that I don't, I don't like. So it's going to be tough. Um, Shea Weber, though, absolute beauty. Uh, yeah, he's 35 years old now. Um, a lot of people were actually complaining about his his play, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Like some Habs, this Habs fan that that works with me, he's like, yeah, Shea Weber's washed. You know, he barely plays now. I'm like, man, you do not know what the hell you're talking about. Because Shea Weber, if he is not in that locker room, you don't even have a freaking pr- like proper, true leader. I mean, Gallagher, I guess, would be the leader at that point. But other than that, yeah, in the dressing room, it would be really, really rough without Shea Weber. But Carey Price, again, he probably, you know, he's he's a pro's pro, but he's the goalie. He's not the captain. So um, in terms of Montreal next year, it's going to be very intriguing to see what they do but like i said like we mentioned cole caulfield oh man this guy's going to be a problem in this league for a long long time and he was an absolute steal uh going that late it's it's a treat for them they needed it but uh you guys have anything else to add to this pod yeah remember when i said uh (laughs) this contract was 2010 look at this um Shea Weber was an RFA uh, in 2011 and uh, 2012, actually. And Philly came up, the amazing team they are, and they offered him a 14-year deal and uh, forced Nashville to match that. And look when it runs out, too. He's going to be making $6 million next year. And uh, Oh, yeah. my God. $3 million in 2022-23. <laughs> One million in twenty three, twenty four. One million twenty four, twenty five. <laughs> one million in twenty five, twenty six. So he's a UFA when he's forty one. And if they want to buy it out, you're looking at probably twenty two, twenty three. So two thousand twenty three, they'll probably buy him out for the last three years. And if they want to buy it out now, calculate this. Oh my goodness, age of buyout. Yeah, this is uh. Not looking good. Eight hundred thousand dollars he'll be making until twenty thirty thirty one. So eight million. Buy it now. Oh my god! <laughs> so if I they mean, want to buy him out, this is a, probably the best time to do it. It's only going to cost you eight hundred thousand dollars on your cap. It's going to save him five point two million dollars next year. So I think if they don't find a trade partner uh, now that he won't be making six million after next season, I think that's when they'll probably buy him out to save as much money as possible. Actually, you know what, Alino, you just saved me because there's one thing that we missed out on and we need to bring up. And now that you brought up this buyout and all these contracts, I got to bring this up. Duncan Keith wants out of Chicago and he's been there for 17 years. Now he's rumored to his contract again is not that good at all. But he's been voicing that he wants to be traded back home. And we all know where home is. It's in Edmonton. 
So I'll ask this. I'll start with Pinello. Do you see a guy like Duncan Keith going to Edmonton and making that team any better? I mean, I don't see Duncan Keith anywhere because he's had the same jersey for like 18 years. But is that new? Did that just come out like today or yesterday? Oh, I know. It's, it's been like four days. I saw it a couple days ago. Because there were rumblings about Kane and the rebuild and like what direction they want to go. And so here in this now, it's not the most surprising. I don't think Hawks fans are going to lose their shit. Duncan Keith has given everything to that organization. He's won them cups. He's been a fucking Norris Trophy defenseman. So I'm in a situation with Keith. If uh, I'm, I'm sitting him down and I'm saying, wherever you want to go, you steer the fucking ship. So... Yeah, if he feels like he can still play, why not? His contract's terrible now, but over the years, he definitely was worth it. Yeah, for sure. I think, here, I'll pull up his contract, actually, while we're talking about him. His cap hit's insane. It's uh, $5.5 million, uh until 2023-24. He'll be 39. That's a big gamble. Even though you're not paying him that much, paying him like $2 million, I think Chicago's going to have to retain at least like a million just to make Edmonton feel more comfortable, but that's a gamble. I think Chicago's better off like working something out with another team, kind of like what the Leafs did with Marlowe. You trade like a second-round pick if you're Chicago. They buy him out. He's a free agent, and it doesn't go on your team, but you give compensation like a Carolina or Arizona to make this happen, but going to be hard like Edmonton who you trade if you're going to go for Keith like you're not going to trade Nuge you just signed him and uh, you can't trade <laughs> any of uh, the other guys because they have no value like kind of stuck on that one I just feel like they're they're actually in a spot now where they're looking at their defense and it's not looking too bad like they got Adam Boyfist who he I think it's been this year or last year he was the top power play the whole year um, he, they didn't look back at all and you know, they have a couple other guys coming up, and I think it's finally coming to the point where you go to Chicago and, you know, guys like Dylan Strom, if they don't pan out, guys like Alex De- well, Debrinkit obviously is staying. Debrinkit, Kane, um, maybe Strom and, like, Taves. And other than that, I think everyone else is basically on the way out or almost – like, I'm looking at their D right now. And it's looking laughable. Like they got Ian Mitchell, who's very, very young, but he he looks like he can be a, a top six full, uh, defenseman. Nikita Zadorov is a shutdown guy. We all know that he doesn't really have a lot of value. Um, Riley Stillman's a guy that actually, I think he was a second or third rounder. He's actually slowly starting to pan out. And then they have Connor Murphy and Adam Boykfist. So if you look at that and you look at um, if they really want to get rid of Duncan Keith, I guess the big point, the big question that we all want to know is which D do they go out and sign in free agency because they definitely need um, they definitely need another defenseman let's be honest if you get rid of Duncan Keith even though like you said he's 38 years old I still think they need a little more because we need to know exactly before this next season starts what Chicago wants to do because Patrick Kane is now 32 33 He's still putting up a point in game. He's making a hell of a player out of Alex Debrinkit. I think he could almost scratch 50 goals in a perfect, perfect season for him. So it's really it's really hard. I, I really don't know where they can go if they get rid of Duncan Keith, but I had to bring that up seeing as we brought up Shea Weber. Yeah, um, 
But for the Hawks, like, I don't think it's worth it for them to go out and sign like a um, like a key defenseman to try to keep this core together or whatever. Like, I don't think that's like you said. What D should they sign? You remember a couple years ago when Shattenkirk signed the fucking three year deal with Anaheim? Oh, like if. If I'm them, yeah, because, like, what's the point of going after a top-notch agent? I think Kane and Debrinket will keep them relevant and keep people watching and hopefully strong. But, like, th- this team is very close to a full-out rebuild. So if you could sign a couple of um, lower-end depth guys to maybe take some of the pressure off some of the younger guys they have in the lineup, that's fine. But if I'm the Hawks, yeah, we're on the verge of a rebuild here. Yeah, I think so. I think everyone's going to look at Kane, Taves. Like, you don't even know. Maybe they're going to have to be creative with Keith because they got lucky with Seabrook's contract and Hosa's contract, and maybe this is the hockey gods getting back at them. Like, this one, you're not going to get so lucky. So Chicago's going to make a decision. Yeah, I agree. But anyways, guys, that was this week's episode. We talked about... The, the Phoenix Suns, the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, talking about NHL, NBA. That's our formula. But this is in the zone. Chris Martelli, Giancarlo Alino, Anthony Pinello signing off.